Hello, everybody, and welcome once again as we continue on in our study of the New Testament, which is a sub-study on the whole Bible. We're going to do the, the Old Testament when we're done, but that's still 15 or 16 years in total. So uh, we're three and a half years in, I think, three years plus into the New Testament, and we should finish in about a year and a half, two years um, with this. We're, we're tackling um, the, the New Testament sort of a chapter at a time. Most of you know that. Uh, and we, we've already done all the Gospels, and we did the book of Acts. And since then, we've been working through the letters that Paul wrote in the order that we believe he wrote them. And now we are eight weeks, uh, eight chapters into the book of Romans. Um, we did that on purpose to help with context, because I, I always want to talk about the importance of context when you read the Scripture. And the to hope that that would sink in, that when you, when you look at a verse of scripture, uh, you really have to look at what's going on in before it and what's happening after it, and then hold it in the context in which it was written. written. Um, and, and then it, it still speaks volumes, but, but that context is so important. These, all these letters that Paul wrote, he was writing the new churches, um, and everything was brand new as they were getting going. And there was a lot of questions. And he writes back to these different churches addressing specific questions for the most part of things that had happened. Most of these letters were written to churches that he was very involved in starting. The, the book of Romans is the difference in that, in that he, he, we don't believe he had anything to do with the start of the church in Rome. We, we, are, we think that the church in Rome was started by people who attended the, um, the, the first Pentecost situation when they were there and when the Spirit of God fell and they were impacted by Peter's message and brought into the kingdom that those that were from Rome went back and started a church. Paul, years later, um, is, is uh, led to write to them. Maybe they, they, I'm sure they'd heard about Paul, sent him questions or whatever, but he's writing to them, talking about hoping to visit them soon and uh, the letter to Rome is really uh, uh, an amazing sort of systematic theology about the Christian faith. So uh, it's a little different than some of the other letters, but it's filled with practical advice for believers and for the church. And so it's a great um, book for us to read and to look at. And you will find yourself looking into Romans for advice on a lot of things because it, it covers pretty much the whole deal that we need to look at. Um, we, we started Rome, Romans, and I said the first three chapters of the book of Romans are very difficult chapters because Paul is really talking about sin. And uh, in it, he, he sort of makes sure everybody knows that they're a sinner. It's kind of tough to read, but it's the reality of it. He does that to make sure that we all know our need for a savior. Um, if, you, if you don't realize and recognize your need for a savior, you're in big trouble. And we... Today, we live in a culture that, that so often believes that it's just about being a good person, um, and that's really what matters in the big scheme of things, and the, the culture has sort of um, uh, painted a picture of who they believe God to be that really doesn't have anything to substantiate it. It's not substantiated by the Bible or by Scripture, um, because it doesn't say anything about, you know, your main deal is to be a good person. Um, what it talks about is that you're a sinner. No matter how hard you try, uh, you can't measure up um, because God is perfect and that you need a Savior. And so this whole discussion that Paul brings to us, and then he starts talking about the law and how the law um, can't get us to where we, we need to get, and that that was kind of one of the purposes of the law. In fact, last week, if you were with me, I said that the law actually stimulates sin. Uh, and by that, I mean when, when you're told not to do something, Oftentimes you want to do it even more. 
And we talked about children being told they can't have, you know, a hot cookie because it's come out of the oven and they can smell it because company's coming. They wanted it. And now that you've told them, no, they can't have it, they want it even more. And the, the law has that effect on us. It actually stimulates sin. Again, um, the law is good. It's holy in it. And it talks about um, the ideal sort of uh, situation for living in community with one another. But it's also there to let us know we can't make it because you can't. And if you're honest with yourself, you, you, you get that you can't live up to it. And, and so um, unless you deal with that fact, then you're always trying to pretend like you've lived up to it. Or you're trying to work to live up to it. And there's no life in either of those situations. And, and Paul um, wants us to know real life. So he's very honest in these chapters. Even at the end of Romans 7, where we were last week, uh, it kind of uh, ends with a cry. Um, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? As we, as we read about Paul's honest struggle in, in doing things that he didn't want to do. Uh, and knowing what he should do and then struggling to get there. And, and what a big mess that whole situation is. But Romans 8 is filled with amazing verses. And uh, the whole Bible is. But I love, so, there's so many in Romans 8 that you, uh, you, you probably hear all the time or, or reflect on or think about or, or whatever. But there's a bunch of them all in Romans 8. And, and he, the answer in Romans 8 to that cry in Romans 7 is, there is now no condemnation. What a great verse. What a, what a powerful, powerful verse. And because through Christ Jesus the law or the principle of the spirit of life set me free from the law or the principle of sin and death. So Paul um, is, is saying it, it, the, the reality is that once he accepted himself as a sinner, remember this was Paul who had um, lived a big chunk of his life in, in trying to be the most zealous of the law that there could be. All the right training and doing everything, persecuting the church in everything to the, to the fullest and it, wasn't, it didn't work. It wasn't enough. But finally, in accepting the fact that he was a sinner and, and realizing that in his own strength he could never please God, Paul turns his gaze to the cross and finds joy in the thought of, there's now no condemnation. But see, as he did that, there's something that happens where, where Paul makes this great discovery, and that's what he's trying to share with us in this chapter. Instead of trying to please God in his own strength by keeping the law, which he could not do, when he stopped trying and instead relied on God to express his own divine life through Paul's personality, then the righteous requirements of the law were fully met. This, see, if, if, you can, if you can let that sink in, this, this is what this chapter is really all about and, and the buildup up to this point. Uh, when we're trying in our own strength to make it work by following rules, it never works. But when we finally say, I can't do it, God, I'm just going to allow the Spirit of God to, to live in me and through me. And I just want to be led by you. And I want to do what you want me to do. You'll hear me talk about this all the time and again soon and on the weekend coming up. I just want to live by trying to do the next right thing. There's something in that surrender that allows us then to to begin to experience life in, a, in an amazing and real way and actually fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. Not in our own efforts, but in, in allowing God to live through us and in us. And see, sometimes people struggle 
with the, the idea of law and grace. And they think, well, if there's not rules and regulations and people they just do whatever they want to do. And, and Paul's saying that's not what happens. When you love God because he first loved you, and at some point you realize that that's the most important thing to you in life, then you're not trying to get away with anything. You really just want to live life for him. And, and not trying to do it all right all the time or anything, just settling into what the Spirit of God wants to do in you and listening and yielding to the Spirit's movement in your life. Sin lived in Paul, but Christ now lived in Paul too. And if, if Paul concentrated on keeping the law rather than on trusting on Jesus, his old nature, like I said, was actually stimulated, causing him to sin. But when he concentrated on trusting in Jesus, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit energizes his new nature and he found himself living a righteous life. That's the difference. See, if we'll just focus on the things of God, this is what we talk about all the time, staying present in the presence. If we'll live for him, then the Holy Spirit energizes us to live the righteous life we're called to. And it, it's not about following rules. It's about doing the next right thing because we know that's where life is found. So our obligation isn't to the law but it's to respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's what you, you need to get from this chapter. See, we're, we're, we're set free. We're no longer in bondage or a slave to the law anymore. And now we're, we're to respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And in that, then the righteous requirements of the law are met. So the law, in effect, has been replaced by an intimate, personal relationship with God. It doesn't mean there's not right things and wrong things. It just means it's not that law that kept us in bondage and actually stimulated sin. It's in, a, it's in yielding to the Holy Spirit. And that's where we find life. Romans 8, chapter 1. 39 verses in Romans. I'll be reading out of the NIV. That's what's in your notes. You can pick up the Bibles in the rows if you want. They're NIV as well. Or whatever translation you happen to have. It'll work. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are, those who are led by the spirit of God 
are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by his own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justified. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Blessed be the word of the Lord. That's some good stuff there. Lots of really powerful verses, a lot of very meaningful stuff, and a lot of things to hang on to, and a lot of promises that all tie into the idea of yielding to the Holy Spirit in your life and, and really working this thing out by trying to live doing the next right thing. So let's just talk about some of the verses. There's, there's more than we could talk about in a reasonable amount of time, but we'll, we'll cover some of the highlights. Uh, the first three verses... In Romans 8, again, it, it, it points to the idea that we're all guilty and that the penalty for that is death and that we've been justly condemned for repeatedly sinning. Uh, but in Christ, there is no condemnation. He has declared us not guilty and has offered us freedom from sin and power to do his will. That's a great deal, guys, to be, to be you're not guilty. You've done it. 
you, you were guilty, you, you actually did it, but because of what Jesus did at the cross, you're now, boom, not guilty. That's, that's, that's worth the price of admission right there. That's good news. Not guilty. In Christ, not guilty. All the mess, everything you've ever done, everything you're still going to do, all of it, not guilty because of what Jesus has done. That's good stuff right there. We could stop there and talk about that for days and weeks and months. Not guilty. I did it. Yeah, but you're not guilty. That's good stuff. Not guilty. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Good news. Good, good stuff. New start, new beginning, new hope. New life. Not guilty. Takes away the power of shame, of, of regret, of staying stuck in the past. Not guilty. Set free. 8, 4 through 13. Paul goes on then and says that there's two types of people. Um, those dominated by the sinful nature and those controlled by the Holy Spirit. We would all be in the first category if it wasn't for Jesus. And he made a way out for us through the cross. And, and uh, uh, so he's made a way out. In Christ, in Christ, we've said that a lot in this, in Christ, we can now choose to yield to the Holy Spirit and we can then live by doing the next right thing. That's, that's the, the amazing news. Not guilty, and now the Spirit of God lives in us as believers. That's All those chapters are in there. If you're a believer, the Spirit of God is with you. You're the Holy Spirit's in you, and you can yield to him and choose to do the next right thing, and he'll empower you to do the next right thing and find life. And that's, that's amazing good news. We still can choose, and we still sometimes will choose poorly, but we have the ability now to no longer be um, stuck in, in the bondage that we were under when it came to the law. Verses 14 through 23, um, Paul then uses adoption to illustrate the believer's new relationship with God. And in the Roman culture, uh, an adopted person um, was, uh, lost all their rights from their, from their old family and they gained all the rights of a legitimate child in the new family. They became a full heir into their new father's estate. And, and so likewise, when someone becomes a Christian, we, he or she gains all the privileges and responsibilities of a child in God's family. And one of the most outstanding privileges is being led by the Spirit. But, you know, Paul, that's a huge thing. Um, you're, you're adopted into God's family. And that's what happens. And it's, it's as, as adopted in the Roman culture, you were absolutely and fully a part of the new family. You were absolutely equal to everybody in the family. There was, it was an amazing deal. That's what happens to us in Christ. We're adopted in, and now all of the privileges and responsibilities of being God's children are ours. And, and one of the amazing things is we can be led by the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in us. Um, verses 24 through 27, um, he, Paul starts talking about salvation being um, past, present, and future. Um, and it's, it's, it, here's how that works. It's, it's past because we were saved the moment that we believed in Christ as Savior. We, we were saved. Um, our, our new now and forever life begins at that moment. It's present um, because we're in the process 
of sanctification. That's one of those big words. It means we're in the, in the process of change, that the Spirit of God is at work in us now, and we're in process. We're saved, but we're in process. So it's happening as, as well because it's a process that happens. We we're, we're certainly have not arrived yet. None of us have arrived. We're in process until we end up being with Jesus, and then, and then it's taken care of, but not until then. When Jesus, either he comes back or we go to him, then it's completed. But as long as we're here in this life, we're in process with the Holy Spirit of sanctification. It's future because we have not yet received all of the blessings of salvation. Some of them are still out there. And that's worth a quick discussion. Um, about uh, You've heard me talk about it, but it needs to come back fairly often. It's the now and the not yet, or the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God. And, and this is very important stuff, um, and it's something that you need to hear, and it, it it probably doesn't get talked about enough, and, and people have some different paradigms for looking at it, but we believe that this, is, uh, this impacts, this idea of the now and the not yet impacts everything that we do uh, in the kingdom of God. And uh, the fancy word for what we believe is that we believe in an inaugurated eschatology. How's that? You can drop that on people every now and again. Um, what that means is, this, when Jesus came the first time, he inaugurated the kingdom. He, he brought the kingdom of God uh, to us. The kingdom is here. But the kingdom's not fully here until he comes back the next time. Then he will complete everything that God started. So we're in this tension. The kingdom is here, but not fully here. It's very real and it's very here because Jesus was very real and very here. But it's not fully here yet and you can tell because some of the promises of, of things that are going to happen when Jesus comes back haven't happened yet. There's, there's still death. There's still mourning. There's still pain. There's still tears. When he's fully here, all that stuff is gone. We're in tension. So because he's inaugurated it, the promises are available to us in some measure, but not in the measure that will receive them when he comes back. And so we live in this tension of the already and the not yet, the now and the not yet. What we have is amazing because we get taste of what's coming, but it's not fully here. But see, it's that realization that's the basis for everything that we do. Because when we, when we go to the Lord... And, and we ask God to break into the kingdom now. See, see that's where we're going. The, the promises are ours. And we're in, in this in-between time between the already and the not yet waiting for him to come back. And he started the kingdom. The kingdom is here. It's been inaugurated. It's just not completed. But because of who he is and what he wants us to do in faith is we're to ask for the promises that haven't arrived yet to break through into the now. And we're allowed to do that. That's where faith comes in. And, and he said, if you've got enough faith, and, and it's not our measure of faith, it really, it's, a, it's about who we have faith in. If we have enough faith, we're to ask him for all the promises to break through into today. And if you've ever heard me teach about that, I even use part of the Lord's Prayer for that. Give us today our daily bread. And, and the, the, the verse could really be translated very easily, give us today the bread of tomorrow. And I like to think of it that way. So we're asking God for the bread of tomorrow today. And so when we approach the things that we're asking God for that we need to see him move in today, we're saying, God, when you, when, when you come back, Jesus, you're going to set it all right. Everything's going to be made new. And you're going to do it. So would you do it today? And, and then we, we ask him to do it. And a lot of times he does. He breaks through 
into the day. We get taste and foretaste of the banquet that's ours forever. It breaks through. The kingdom of God breaks through. But it doesn't always the way we want because he's still sovereign and he's not fully here yet. But he's coming. And, and one of the rights and privileges we have as a kid is we can ask for it today. God, will you give me the bread of tomorrow today? Can I have an advance on what's coming today in my life? Would you, would you break through and, and touch and heal and change and save? And, and would, you, would you break into people's hurt and pain and mourning? Would you break into difficult situations? Would you come, God, and move into us now? We need you, Lord. The kingdom of God, the, the, the not yet, will break through today. And it does all the time. But we live in that tension. And that's what we need to remember. So we have an inaugurated eschatology. The kingdom is here, but not fully here. It's here, and it's coming. And, and it breaks through into the now. I hope that answered more questions than it made. I probably didn't, but that's okay. 28 through 34. God is able to work in everything for our good. That's another one of those great verses. Um, even in the fallen world, broken planet stuff. He moves into it in ways we can't imagine, teaching us that we can trust him now and forever. We can always trust God, even in the most difficult of things, and somehow he moves into those difficult things, not always the way that we want, and not, not always a pass on, on not dealing with hard stuff, but he breaks into. We can trust him. Don't forget that you can trust God. Half of the population of our country right now is not feeling very good today. But we can trust God. See, it's all, it's, we got God. You always trust in God. First, it's not over, it's not done, regardless of where you came in on e- either one of those things, it's still always about trusting in God. Don't ever let your trust get put in anything else. Life is found in Him. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. And, and move into life. And, and, and God works in every situation if we trust him for good. And we had that promise earlier. It's very good. So um, as we learn to trust him more and more, then the spirit is at work within us making us more like Jesus. Not that we'll ever be little, little messiahs, but, but we'll take on more and more of his character. We talk about that all the time. Him being our model for life and ministry, which helps us to love God and love others and uh, live less selfishly and, and more Less, self, less selfishly and more selflessly. And then finally, those last four verses, 35 through 35 verses, awesome verses of promise, nothing, no thing can separate us from the love of Jesus. No thing. That's cool. So think about that. His love for us is so amazing that we can trust him completely now and forever. So that's all we're going to do on Romans 8 because I'm out of time. But uh, good stuff. You should read it again and, uh, and dwell and meditate on it for a while. It's a great chapter. If you're watching um, on video or on television, thank you so much for spending this time with us. We know how valuable your time is. We appreciate you taking it with us. And uh, you can always go to our website at keysvineyard.com if you have a prayer request, and we will do everything we can to, uh, to uh, pray for you and encourage you. But we're going to call it a day here.